Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, can Berlin's legendary nightclubs survive? Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close, where they're happening. It's Friday, November 10th. I'm Greg Dixon. Since the early 90s, Berlin's nightclub scene has been a cultural institution and an economic engine. But club owners say inflation, energy prices, and an altered post-pandemic tourist market are squeezing them. Clubs are also finding themselves at odds with their neighbors as Berlin grows and gentrifies. NPR's Rob Schmitz takes the pulse of a German cultural institution. For those who haven't experienced it, a night at a club in Berlin can be reduced to a math equation. Most people who are in their early adulthood or later have, you know, been to a music concert, been to a venue of some sort, what they would consider a club of their expectation. Berlin nightlife is what you've experienced. Multiply that by 10. That's Zach Kudaretsky, and this is his music, produced under his DJ pseudonym, DVS1. Berlin nightlife is very free and carefree in a lot of ways. It's trying to push artistic boundaries. It's trying to push personal boundaries. It's trying to let people experience music, art, and culture with some rules, but those rules are created to have no rules. Kudaretsky holds a residency at the Berlin Club Berghain. He's heard complaints lately from Berlin club owners and promoters about declining club goers. Even Berghain, typically an anomaly because it draws crowds from around the world, has raised its cover charge to deal with rising costs. He thinks fewer Europeans are making quick clubbing trips to the city due to the financial hit of the pandemic. So where a casual weekend to Berlin before the pandemic was a simple decision and paying the cover and eating food and taking taxis and then getting home before you have to go to work on Monday was a really easy thing to do within Europe. I think it became harder after the pandemic. Berlin Club Commission Chair Lutz Leichsenring agrees that tourism to Berlin is down. In the past, he says, a third of tourists came for the city's nightclubs, and they typically spent $1.6 billion a year while they were here. But declining tourism is not the only problem. You have inflation, you have the energy crisis, and you have also the rise of the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So a lot of cost pressure, price pressure, and they said less demand because less people are in the city. Yeah, it's a very critical time. A critical time, too, because of how Berlin is developing as a European metropolis. I think that in Berlin, much more than in other big cities, um, there's a deep connection between the nightlife and urban development. Tobias Rapp, a culture writer for Der Spiegel, says Berlin's club scene is an outgrowth of how the city developed after the fall of the Berlin Wall and Germany's reunification more than three decades ago. In the years after the reunification, one-third of East Berlin was empty. So young people like me took spaces. Then you have like an empty warehouse or an old factory that is empty and you go in you squat it, you say, this is ours, and then you have this huge space and you say, okay, what can I do with this? You make a party. 
early 1990s in East Berlin, nightclubs popped up in abandoned breweries, power stations, and bomb shelters. None of it was safe. And Rapp, who's written a book about this period in Berlin's club history, considers it a minor miracle there was not a horrible fire or other accident inside one of these makeshift clubs. Eventually, investors and the city began to take note. They worked together to build legal licensed clubs and other businesses arrived too. The side effect was it was good for the value of the properties. You had galleries, bars, uh, nightclubs that gave these areas certain value. And with that came young renters who turned into middle-aged homeowners with children. And as housing prices have risen, Berlin's transformed, gentrified neighborhoods have become less comfortable with the city's clubs and its subculture. Just down the block from Berlin's Kit Kat Club, a resident who would only give her first name, Undina, of retribution points out the aftermath of the previous evening. You should take a photo of all this trash the clubbers have left behind, she says with a sour face. Nobody picks it up, nobody cares. Undina says she's complained several times to the police about the noise and rowdiness in the early hours of the morning from this club. Complaints like Undina's are on the rise in Berlin as the city's housing prices go up and urban spaces become tighter. But for DJ Zach Kudarecki, it's clear who should get a free pass. Who was there first? If the club was there first, why can't the club be protected in the same way that if an apartment building was there first and a club moved in, people would be like, but we were here first. This club has to move or soundproof itself or take care of this. Well, in this case, the clubs were there first. The culture was there first. And I think it's important to, to protect those things. Berlin's Club Commission is, in fact, seeking the type of protection that the city offers its museums, opera houses, and other cultural institutions so that it can survive its current and any future downturns. Near midnight on a Thursday at Berlin's Bergheim Club, there is no line. Maybe it's too early. Maybe times are tough. Despite this, when Andreas Ibaja and her friends approach the bouncer, he shakes his head, directing them to the way out. They're Costa Ricans who live in Boston, and they flew to Berlin because Berghain was on their bucket list. I'm one of those people that usually wears black, and I felt like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm part of that. I want to like hang out with people that have the same vibe as me, and reject it. <laughs> Sibaja is still in a state of shock, and she lingers outside in the cold, watching others casually walk inside. She asks me why I'm doing this story. And when I tell her it's because Berlin's clubs are complaining that they're losing club goers, she drops her jaw. But at the same time, like, they reject you. So you're like, so what's the point? Like, I'm coming all the way here for this. And then they're, like, turning your, their back on you. So I'm just going to spend my money somewhere else. Somewhere else, meaning anywhere but Berlin. She has also had it with the city's too-cool-for-you club scene. Rob Schmitz, NPR News, Berlin. That's the State of the World from NPR News. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. 
Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. On the TED Radio Hour, researcher Sasha Lucioni says AI can help us find climate solutions. But just training the technology itself uses a ton of energy. Training ChatGPT, for instance, emits as much carbon as five cars in their lifetime. Tech's climate conundrum. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org.